I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes. The devil's eyes. Welcome everyone, I'm Heath. And I'm Jay. And you're listening to Host of Horrors, a podcast where we discuss and review films based off of predetermined themes of the month. This month, we are not doing weekly episodes, unfortunately, but we are doing a Halloween special. Woo! Woo! And we decided to review a very special Halloween movie for the Halloween special. I would like to... Ask the audience to guess what it is. Yeah, you'll never guess. It's Halloween. It's Halloween. We're reviewing <laughs> Halloween. <laughs> the one that you can say started it all. Mm, mm, what? Start started what though? What did it actually start? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I mean, the tropes of slasher films. Because it didn't start slasher. Slasher, I mean, Slasher's been around since, like, Psycho, Peeping Tom, and even, like, uh, Black Christmas. I mean, considering that, like, those movies aren't that far apart, yeah, I can see that being, a, like, a little bit of inspiration. Just a little bit. So, like, maybe, like, the tr- it started the tropes. Because even, like, horror movies for, like, Halloween viewing didn't start with Halloween. I mean, even Lindsay in the film is watching The Thing, so... There's been plenty of horror movies to watch on Halloween before this was a thing. Okay, okay. Before we get into Halloween, would you consider the thing more of a horror movie or more of a science fiction movie? The thing? Yeah. It's both. Which one are we talking about? The the, the original. The oh, the OG? <laughs> the OG. Well, I think the OG is definitely more science fiction, but that's another topic for another time. No, we're going to talk about this now. Looks like we're going to be talking about the thing. We're talking about the thing. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just remember that like all of the conversations that I've had in my classes about like how a lot of the science fiction movies of the 1950s like were parallels to like, you know, how you other how the other equals like communism or yeah. they just thought anything that's not like, you know, American standards yeah. were like automatically considered like, communist and shit. But, you know, that's like I said, another topic for another time. Yeah, we're talking about the Halloween. The Halloween. The the John Carpenter's Halloween. We're just gonna say the Halloween, because I don't I don't <laughs> <laughs> The only one I really acknowledge is the third one, which is not a Halloween movie. It's called Season of the Witch, and that's it. And then the 2018 one, which is just okay. I enjoy it for what it is. So I, okay, one thing that I've realized, like, watching it is, like, it's such a mystery. Like, it's like, it, it goes both into, like, a character study of Michael Myers, and it's, like, there's also a mystery that, like, is really cool. It's, like... Where is Michael Myers at this point in time? Where is this bona fide personification of evil that what, you so and, speak of? And what is he? What is this personification of evil? Because, dude, Mike be popping out of nowhere and vanishing real fast. 
scrawny dude can pick up a big ass dude in the in the form of Bob and stake him to a wall like he's nothing. Mike's got some powers. I don't know, Bob. They don't look that big though. Okay, okay, okay. But you're not wrong. The fact that he can like cowboy handle him, though, right? Like that takes a lot of strength, and it's like. I guess Lumos was right. There, he must have the devil's eyes because, like, there's no way that a normal human can just like manhandle, like, and just like carry someone just by their neck like that. But I just think that like this movie is a really good character study of how like one person can be just be so just just so evil and just so and it's like weird because it's evil, but it's not really evil. In a way, it was like, oh, he's, like, doing this intentionally. It was like, I don't know if he's doing this intentionally or, like, or he's, like, chemically imbalanced. Like, what? I want to see what Loomis is. <laughs> yeah, like, because there's no explanation. Like, there's really no motive per se. I mean, you could say sex in, like, a weird way because his sister was having sex before he killed her. Annie was on her way to have sex before he killed her. Uh, Linda just got done having the shortest sex possible and mm -hmm. he killed her. But like at the same time, what was his fixation with, uh, um, oh, I can't even think of her name. Jane. Lori. Lori. What was his fixation with Lori? Uh, you know, what he's, he killed other people that weren't, had anything to do with sex. So that's not even a good motivation. Like what was his motivations? Or was he just killing to have fun? Because I think he was having fun. No man stalks his prey like that or or has like an elaborate setup where Lori's going to find her friend dead with a tombstone hanging or set up there. And then like a Bob swings down and then, oh, I also stuffed your friend in the closet. He, he, aren't I fun? Like, no, he had fun with this. That was a lot of tricking. He was enjoying himself. <laughs> that was a lot of tricking. Not really much in the form of treating, though. Like, it's just the amount of therapy that Miss Girl's gonna need after this. No, and that is why I like the uh, 2018 one the best out of all the other ones. Excluding Season of the Witch. It's its own film. But it actually shows the trauma that this actually would have. Because, I mean... You could sit there and say, come on, it's been, I don't know how long, 20, 30 years since this happened. Get over it. Dude, she stabbed him in the neck, stabbed him in the chest, thought he was dead twice, not dead, and then saw a man unload a clip on him, a full six cylinders on his ass, and he still lived. That's traumatizing. I don't care. Honestly, like, seeing dead people is traumatizing enough. That's a lot to unpack, especially, like, your friends and what I'm assuming... No, just friends, because I'm pretty sure that wasn't our sister. Yeah, seeing your best friends, like, basically just die like that, and then poor Paul. <laughs> yeah, poor Paul. Poor Paul. He has no idea what's going on. There's so many people who just had no idea what was going on with anything. And granted, like, the only other time that this has happened was... You know, because of Michael, 15 years ago. Yeah, and that was just a, a freak thing that happened. Little boy kills his sister. And, Done. Enough said. I just... And, like, there was no provocation for it. It just happened. And in a clown outfit, mind you. Mm -hmm. And so this is, like, 
who knows what's going on but it does kind of go into like a um like you said before like sex and stuff it's like because Lori's the only one who's like the good girl quote unquote good girl but it also goes into that whole thing about like how the good good girl the non-whore like gets off scot relatively scot-free like you know alive yeah and all the other ones who you know had premarital sex or whatever like dies and i don't know it's i don't know how to feel about that part i do think this movie like i jokingly said it but i do think this movie started a lot of the quote-unquote slasher tropes you know you have sex you die you say i'll be right back you die um if you think you killed the killer you didn't kill the killer he's always back for one more scare Mm -hmm. um you know the the running away while he's just slowly walking after you kind of thing a lot a lot of tropes were taken from this um and like i don't know how to feel about just the purity culture that i guess you can say resonates in this film and a lot of the slasher tropes honestly a lot of horror tropes in general but especially with slashers it just always feels like it's one of those morality things where it's like, oh, if you have premarital sex, you're gonna die. And I'm just like, why? Like, what? Like, what prompted all of this is what I'm wondering. Yeah, I mean, and the whole plot of Friday the Thirteenth is derived from sex. Exactly, like from that <laughs> and from <laughs> from almost every slasher that I've seen. I tell, I think even Blood Rage. Yeah, Blood especially Rage, Blood Rage. Blood Rage had a weird thing where like. All the females were horny. That's why I like to call subversion. Yeah. Because all the women there, they wanted some dick. And all the dudes were like, no, we're playing a video game right now. No, I'm watching the TV. Well, no, I got to go kill people and frame my brother. No, I want to play tennis. And just like <laughs> every. Like that just, I felt like at this point, Blood Rage feels like a subversion of all of the different kind of themes that were going on in there. Back to what you were saying about a character study for, like, Michael. Um, I think you could easily do that for Loomis. I think you can easily do that for a lot of characters in this. But I think the biggest character study I get from this is old school, rural area America. Mm -hmm. Honestly, the fact that no one gave a shit in this movie scared the bejesus out of me. Well, I mean, we live in a different era where what's ever going to happen is going to happen. And I feel like back in the day, especially with the fact that they're, I'm assuming they're in the suburbs, you don't expect anything really to happen in a suburban setting, which made the first incident even more freaky because it's like, it feels like it got swept under the rug after that like no one no one talked about it and it became that this urban legend yeah you about just, the myers house yeah you just don't go to the myers house something really bad happened there that's what tommy said but yeah. like the fact that i don't know this one creepy dude is stalking people literally and then the balls on the the Lori's friends to like stand up to him or or you know call him out or anything like that they, he literally stops and they're just like what's up dude what are you going to do? And in and, and the plain daylight, you know, him walking around, standing there, no one cares. The the hardware shop gets broken into. Dude steals rope, knives, and a mask. And they're like, ah, probably just some kids, you know, it's Halloween. No, Dude, no. Lori literally runs away from, gets away from him, 
goes to a neighbor's house, bangs on the door screaming for help. What do they do? Turn the light on, look out the window and go, nope, not my problem, and go back to bed. And it just goes to show like how people just rather just mind their own business. Like, <laughs> it's like I'm protecting my peace. <laughs> Fuck whatever is going on here. Like, literally, like, three dead bodies are sitting at the door next to you and like someone was about to get killed. And, like, there's this random, like, mysterious figure, like, trying to murk people across the street. And you're just like, oh, I'm just not going to have anything to do with it. If I open that door and let you in, I'm letting the devil in. No, ma'am. Like, (laughs) you'd expect stuff like that more, you know, in the South. Because I feel like there's way more conservatism, well, overt conservatism with all of that going on down in the south than it is on the north. Mm-hmm. But even then, this is in Illinois, so... It, it's mid- <laughs> well, it's middle America in the mm-hmm. 70s. Like, I mean, if you really think about serial killer cases and everything like that, that was East Coast, West Coast, you know, even like the Florida kind of area. Big city stuff. Nothing, nothing like this happens here. Middle or- America, the, the few things that did happen there aren't talked about hell the only reason i know that there was a uh female and male uh murder spree going on in middle of america is because my fiance loves watching deadly women it's the only reason i i'm very it doesn't it does not surprise me at all and i'm concerned for my life every time i go to sleep because now they know a million ways of how to kill me and get caught and probably a few ways to do it and not get caught. And the amount of true crime podcasts that a lot of people listen to, especially films, like a lot of film presenting people and women listen to true crime podcasts and watch a lot of investigation discovery. Like my sister kind of thrived off of like investigation discovery for a long time. And I'm like, why do you, why? Cause Back in the day, I couldn't even watch any of that stuff. Otherwise, I'll get nightmares. Yeah. Or, like, I'll be, like, scared to death to go to sleep. I'm like, no, I don't want to watch, like, how someone got killed, you know, three minutes away, blew up, and all of a sudden, like, no one talked about it for 20 years. I don't want to hear that stuff. I don't, I didn't want to hear it back then, and I sure in the hell don't want to hear it now. Shit. (laughs) I, I just can't, I can't do it. And so I'm like, I'm halfway between like feeling like that family be like nope not wanting anything to do with it and being like hey someone's out here obviously needs help this doesn't happen halloween be damned i think that's how i said i think that's probably why because everything happened on halloween night so i think that's part of the reason why they just kind of like you know chopped uh, everything up the teenagers just some kid i go out there try to help her they're gonna throw some eggs at me no not doing it not falling for that yeah so it's like <laughs> a lot of the tricks and all of that i'm assuming and that's why no no one really batted an eyelash which is also alarming even though it's halloween night but at the same time i'm like someone is like screaming bloody murder i feel like even if it's a trick you'd be like yo what the heck Am I the only one that really, really wanted to hear that uh, gravekeeper's uh, story about the town next to him? See, I wanted to hear the end of that story. See, that's another thing. Is like stuff like that happen all the time. Yes, I do want to hear the story, but it also goes to show how a lot of messed up stories happen all of the time, and no one talks about it. Like yeah. no one easy to talk about as like you know urban legend or authority gets passed around between drinks or professionals or whatever yeah and it's like 
Okay, for example, my mom's constantly saying, oh, the world nowadays is so messed up. There's so many killers and so many bad things going on. Woman, literally, you grew up in the 70s. That's when serial killers were thriving. Like, no, they just didn't talk about shit like this back then. Now we can't mm-hmm. escape it. Like, literally, something happens, it's on Facebook. On Facebook, on some sort of social media. On, on, the, on, the, on the Twitters. On the, on the Twitwats. On the, on the Twitters and, and the Instagrams and that TikTok thingy <laughs> bob You can see who's the old man of this. But it, you're right, I do agree. Like, serial killers were thriving in the 70s and the 80s. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it also goes around with how bold people got. And honestly, I feel like a lot of it has to do with the internet. But, you know, that's a another topic for another time like actually no let's talk about it there's so many people that know how to kill people because of the internet there's mm-hmm. so many people who knows like all of these different stories because of how connected we are and how much information is on the internet nowadays there's so much information that one person probably knows so many things and you wouldn't suspect anything at all and it can either be used for good like you know make a nice little horror movie or you know someone can literally die and from the serial killers of the 70s to like school shooters of the 90s and just a whole just plethora of everything going on now it's just like <laughs> oh god it makes me sound like one of those uh conservative moms for whatever we like need to shut down the internet <laughs> <laughs> i feel like i'm gonna like it one of those taught so- my boy how to pull a trigger <laughs> <laughs> not like as if your dad had carried like 3,000 guns on him at any given time and was going out shooting in the range every other week. Okay, Karen. Yeah, I bought him a BB gun for recreational purposes, not to learn how to shoot a real one. That's the internet. <laughs> this, those video games. Those damn video games. Quentin Tarantino, damn you. <laughs> <laughs> those video games, those horror movies. The GTAs. See, this is... <laughs> This is why we need some fundamental Christian television. Uh, like Joel Osteen and oh the God, capitalist no, no, machine. Done. We're done. No, you said the name. <laughs> you said the name. I'm done. Uh, we Fuck love that dude. Oh, religion. Low oh, organized religion. But all right. Um, Back so, to actually why we're here. But <laughs> I do agree. Middle America, that game back on topic. Middle America at this time felt very much so like in also i feel like representative of the culture of the politics as well not to go into politics but it kind of like goes into like more less um it, it feels like america in itself is going into itself it's like they care more about themselves rather than like other people so that's kind of like another thing that i get from it on top of the whole halloween thing is like a whole plethora of like that culture just going into everything like that so that's kind of like okay i i can see that one thing though that i do appreciate about this movie for real for real we talked about it before always but the music or lack thereof (laughs) no and i do like that because honestly the music in this movie is the loudest thing because the dialogue is very soft-spoken. The action's very soft-spoken. And a lot of time, there isn't any music. 
there isn't much going on besides like background noise or like hearing something on the TV. Mm. And a lot of times the dialogue is spoken as if it's far away, like, you know, normal kind of speech, not like, you know, your fine tuned audio speech. And then when important things happen and that music comes in, it's deafening. Like it it just, it it hits you. It's very, very loud and abrupt. It's like, it's, it's, it's almost its own jump scare. And it's a very much so like a lesson in leitmotif and that hollow, the Halloween theme song, the minute that it showed up on the uh, credit scene, which from that moment on, you just knew, you just knew that. Whenever you heard the you knew some shit was about to happen. You knew something was about to go down. Like, for real. It's a great opening scene. And for that to follow to what I would consider an amazing, amazing first shot to really introduce you what themes this film is wanting you to have. So, for one... It starts out with this person, and you don't know who this person is, POV shot stalking the house, and Michael constantly, the entire film, is lurking in the back, stalking people, so Mm -hmm. there's that. Then you have him working his way in through the house, quietly, silently, there people walk past him like the the boyfriend his sister's boyfriend walks literally past him if he would have just looked to the side would have seen him that happens multiple times in this movie then michael goes up follows finds the mask puts the mask on almost like it's his coping mechanism for him to no longer be human to him to be a monster because even at the end of the film where laurie rips the mask off him and he reveals his real face freaks out for a minute and it's not until he pulls it back on that he looks like he feels comfortable again Mm. so there's that he kills uh his sister indicating you know his lust for murder and then that goes to the final reveal that it is a six-year-old little child that did this automatically especially back in the 70s blowing your mind a kid murdering no that's not real. That's not a real person. That's evil taking over this kid. Hinting at this supernatural force that Loomis is assuming that Michael is. It's the devil's eyes. It's the devil's eyes. Yeah. And man. And I also love the 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 POV shot because at first it's basically putting you in the shoes of the killer. You are now in an uncompromising position where you don't want to be this person, but you now have to walk in his shoes. You are the killer till it's revealed that killer is a six-year-old boy, and then you're just thrown for a loop because now you're going from, okay, I feel uncomfortable being this killer. Oh, God, now I feel even more uncomfortable that this killer that I just was is a child. I just also think it's bold that there was a kill within like the first five minutes of the film. There's no holds barred, I feel like, with this film. I feel like, honestly, if you took out the boobs, I feel like this would have been a movie that you maybe could have sent kids to. Especially back in the 70s. I mean, uh, you easily could have gotten away with a PG rating. 
Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for like the suspense or the the horror element, or the boobs, or the boobs. No, even the boobs. Have you ever seen Sixteen Candles? Well, yeah, Sixteen Candles. But I think that was like before, like they really went into the whole rating system. But it also goes into how you know a lot of the rating systems now it feels like oh it's more sensitive hang on i'm wondering i am wondering i am looking this up because i need to know because i know 16 candles has boobs in it because like i think isn't it rated r now what 16 candles like i think if they re like they re um no 16 candles 1984 pg movie wow and it has today's Local 12-year-old discovers boobs in a PG movie. That is literally a article I just found. Whenever <laughs> I looked up 16 Candles boobs uh-huh. on Google. Uh-huh. So, no. They didn't care about boobs. They killed about murder and the color red. Because remember, <laughs> blood Remember, blood is not cool because it's red. But if it's blue blood, we don't care how gory the effect is. Or if they're, you know, not human, then you can kill anything you want. You can go on a genocide if you wanted to. Yeah, you can literally rip someone's head off. As long as that blood's green or blue and not red, you're good to go. Mm-hmm. Just like the video games. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think another thing that I've noticed is that I don't usually talk about kills. That's usually a heave thing, but I'm going to talk about kills this time. I like the kills. So the fact that the kills were, you can say were evenly placed throughout the movie, because you have one just right out the gate, then it kind of like goes to uh, slow for a bit. And then, I okay, there's a, like one that I didn't know about like seeing it because I didn't notice it. That one scene with Loomis in with the uh, red truck where you find the, uh, the matchbox. Mm-hmm. It pans over, and all of a sudden, you see old dude that I'm assuming was there earlier that he talked to earlier today or earlier in the movie. Dead. Well, no. What oh, is that? A rando. Uh, it was a rando, but it was. It basically explains how Michael got his jumpsuit, his mechanic jumpsuit, because the red truck was a so and so. I think it's like Phillips uh, Garage or something like that. Mm. So it's assumed that he killed this guy literally for his clothes because he kept the same vehicle it's not like he switched vehicles no he kept the same vehicle he stole from the insane asylum he literally it's so he literally knocked this guy off the road drove him off the road and then killed him just for his clothes my god (laughs) (laughs) i didn't even notice that until now and i told notice until like i watched it and i was like oh okay we're really going in for the kill but until and then, honestly, you don't really see much in the form of kills up until a good chunk in the movie because it's setting up, feels like, setting up for all of the kills for later that night. Yeah. That's, I think that's another reason why uh, Middle American div- didn't give a crap because it's Halloween. They're, and they let them kids out uh, trick-or-treating early. Very early. Like, it felt like it was like about 3 or 4 p.m. and the kids were already in the costumes getting uh, candy. I was like, yeah, because like, like Lori's just getting home from school and there's already kids at her next door neighbor's house getting candy. Yeah, and I was like, it's not like she got out at like five or six. I'm pretty sure like at the latest you get out is like three or so. Yeah, and, and I mean like they had to walk home, but what, 30 minutes to the max, 30, 45 minutes max walking from the school to home? I mean, come on, mm-hmm. it, if you're walking there, it can't be that long. No, so I'm just like, how... That, I'm not say how, like, it makes sense why people just looked at this, like, mechanical uniform with the uh, old-looking 
melted William Shatner mask and didn't think anything about it, not knowing it was that literal killer. Kills get, like, they amp up, honestly, even though it's a very, very small body count as compared to, you know, you know, the Freddy Kruegers or the Jasons or, you know, yeah, the Annabelles in, or Chuckies. I think in total, there's only four confirmed, like, on-screen, well, three on-screen, one off-screen death. No, I'm counting the doggo. There's five. Uh, Poor doggy. I know. That's a one well-trained dog, though. Yeah, he tried his best. Mm-hmm. He, he, he did his best. But, also, yeah, it looks like there's only, like, yeah, there's only, uh, Judith, which I, I realized that was the name of her name. Oh, Judith. Then it's six. I forgot about his sister. Uh huh. Yeah. There's Judith, his sister. There's Linda and Bob. There's the Annie. mechanic. There's Annie. And then there's the doggo. Six. Like six very, very well placed kills, which makes this even all the more scary. And 6.5, if you count, well, 6.5. Seven five. If you count the numerous amount of times that uh, Michael got quote unquote killed in this movie, yeah, <laughs> just kept coming back. What was your favorite kill? Um. <laughs> All right. So I'm low key between Bob and Annie. Okay. Actually. Yeah, no, Bob and Annie. Linda didn't deserve it. Linda didn't deserve... None of them really deserved it except for Bob. Bob deserved it for that gross joke he made. That was a very gross joke. Yeah. Oh, we'll take Lindsay's clothes off. She's like six. Yeah, she's Tommy's (laughs) age. So six or eight, something like that. I'm like, stop, you're being gross. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I'm I'm on the same fence. Uh, Bob deserved it, and he had a really satisfying death with the whole one-handed lift him up and stick him to the wall. And then Michael Myers is like looking at him like, with no music hell not even like a whole lot of background noise just him just swaying his head back and forth like huh. observing what he just did he examined it like a piece of art like he finished his masterpiece and just like man nice. i did that <laughs> nice <clears throat> good um, soup good soup but uh annie is probably uh, for like iconic shots it would be the bob one but for pure just like it it kind of hits in a different way the Annie kill because Annie's death you get the initial boom of the song when he pops out of nowhere and grabs her the setup is beautiful too so like she goes to the car car door is locked so she goes back to the house grabs her keys goes back to the car opens the door without using her keys and it's unlocked first off bitch did you not just for, like did you forget you it was locked like was it not just locked <laughs> not like her alarms uh were a thing back in the 70s and then she gets in and notices the windows are all you know fogged up and everything and she's like what the hell is going on and then you get that deafening boom from the music as michael pops up and grabs her by the throat and then the music is gone and all you're left with is his heavy breathing and her choking to death and then the faint sound of a knife slitting someone's throat and the car alarm. Yeah, I think you get the music at that point, but that to me, it's the her literally like you're just stuck there for a good moment with her struggling. That it, it gets to you, man. It's very uncomfortable. 
just like the good chunk of scenes where the camera where the camera would just stay there just a little bit too long. Yeah, it would just linger for like an uncomfortable amount of mo- like moments, like too too long almost, but like not long enough where you're like, can we please move to the next scene? It's like more, okay, what's gonna happen? Because it's always like when Michael's standing there or like a, a good conversation has happened. So I think there is a point where like the, the Loomis and the sheriff are talking. And this is after you've already noticed Michael in the background in several scenes. So they're talking and they walk out of frame and the camera kind of just sits there for a beat or two. So you're sitting there like, okay, what's going to happen? What's going to pop up? Is Michael there? What's going to happen? Come on. Something's going to... Nothing? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. It was nothing. It, it builds suspense. and It kind of gives you up for the later half of the movie because like it builds these suspense up in a way where you're just like... It, it keep it makes you feel what Lori feels. Very tense, very on edge. Well, I'll say she's very on edge. Like she's very like she's the only one I noticed that has I'm gonna say common sense <laughs> in this movie. Like she's the only one that has like some form of awareness. And even then, there are moments where like I would have felt someone's eyes on the back of my head and nothing. And I'm like did y'all not have those kinds of stranger danger meetings like we did back when we were kids? You know, stranger danger? Nope. 1978, Middletown, America. My God. Woo! <laughs> my God, my God. <laughs> Nothing bad happens in Hattonfield. I mean, we had that one time a kid went all berserk murder on us, but he's in the loony bin. It's all good. Dude. His doctor did show up earlier today to warn me about him, but everything's fine. Let's talk about Loomis, though. Like, first of all, it's funny that, like, Annie's actress's last name is Loomis, and one of the characters you see is Loomis. So I thought that was funny. But um, let's talk about Loomis because it feels like a cat and mouse game when it came to that little. Well, can you say it's really a, a B plot when that's like the still main thing he's trying to find? Actually, yeah, you can probably call it the B plot. Yeah, because your main focus the entire time is the girls. Annie and Lori. Those are the two you really focus on most. I mean, more Lori, but Annie's a good chunk of the film uh, there in the second act. Mm -hmm. Um, Loomis is kind of like, I hate to say like an afterthought, but he is like, he's not the main focus. He's the, he's the white knight at the end. He's the one that shows up out of nowhere to vanquish the demon kind of thing. You know, it does feel like he, it doesn't, I, I feel like, yeah, I think he is an afterthought, but it also feels like part of the reason why he was made, like, filmed and directed the way he was, was the fact that, like, he's had, like, tunnel vision. Like, you can, all mm-hmm. you really focus on is, I gotta find Michael. I gotta find Michael. And you, Even- and honestly, like, the way that you think he'll do, they're going back to the scene of the crime, but going back to, like, you know, the first memorable place you can go i that i can understand well but he also he also thinks he knows michael like he spent years with michael so in his mind he's like okay i know because i'm the only one who knows him this well that he will come back to this house he was so fixated on the fact that i know i have to be right i know he's going to be here that he didn't even notice the freaking car just a few blocks down the road like literally later on in the movie he turns around and goes 
Well, I'll be damned. There's the car. Granted, there were other scenes where the car was being driven, and literally, he would drop, like, Michael would drop past, and Loomis would just be, like, distracted with something else, or he's focused on, like, other parts of everything, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, crap, you see Michael there. Like, it's like the cosmic uh, irony of it all. Like, you know, the audience knows what's going on, but he doesn't. Mm -hmm. And that's (laughs) kind of gleeful to me. Another thing is the that one scene where that whole urban legend thing with the kids that uh Tommy that got bu- that uh Tommy um, got bullied by. Yeah, what was uh the main one's name was Lonnie. Yeah, whatever his name. Whatever. Oh, <laughs> the yeah. bully. We don't the, we don't talk the bullies. about bullies. So they were like, you know, perpetuating the whole haunted house thing. You know, you don't go into Myers' house, and it's like, oh, you're gonna go in. And then Lewis is like right there on the side and he's like, hey, Lonnie, get your ass from over there. Like kind of like playing into the whole haunted house thing to scare them kids off. And then it just. <laughs> well, he's also he's also saving them like in his mind, saving them. But yeah, go go ahead, because I know what you're about to say. It, uh, so it's like there was a, like a little that split moment where like he just like he got a laugh out of it. He's like. I tricked the little kid today. Yeah, like, it's, it's honestly it's adorable because it's almost like a um, wow. This is the most fun this poor soul has probably had in years, right? <laughs> like he has had no fun, no fun allowed, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you get this little bit of joy, and it's like just the utter just like amount of glee in his um <laughs> in his face before uh he goes to the officer, and man. I, I felt that. I did feel it. I was like, I it's, get it. It was a cute character moment for sure. You want to talk about fate in this movie? Because fate plays a huge role in this movie. I feel like it plays a huge role in this movie. Do you feel like, you know, the whole thing about fate being a thing translates well to like, you know, how a lot of other slashers are or how a lot of like, you know, different <clears throat> horror movies are, um, no, are made and the characters in those. You think those they are dictated by fate as well? Yeah, especially older horror movies. Most horror because like Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, the kids that are being attacked in that movie just so happen to be the kids of the parents that kill Freddy. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They just so happen to pick up a, the wrong hitchhiker. <laughs> and it. And and it. Yeah. With Penny, it's just like. The Pennywise, they just were dumb enough to fall for the red balloon. Oh. But it just really feels like, honestly, if you think about it, if you kind of add fate to the whole horror equation, a lot of these characters are kind of like pawns to the pieces of the killer who are playing God. If you think about it like that. Because, like, in a way, because of how superhuman Michael is for some reason, it's kind of like he kind of plays God or plays or Lucifer or whatever. He plays a, like some form of God playing chess pieces in the form of these human bodies. And if, you know, you lose the game, you lose, you know, you're dead. Yeah. Kind of well, like that. He definitely is the type of like play with your food type, you know, because the whole I mean, he literally stalks Annie for a good chunk of the movie before he even remotely thinks about killing her. Yeah, you know, he's literally he's there watching her the entire time she's in that house. Um, so he he definitely likes observing mm-hmm. and and toying with his victims. 
in the same way that he did Lori and Tommy to a certain extent too, because it's like all because the fact that he saw them be near the house when she placed the key under there. Yeah. And that's the whole idea. Cause they talk about fate in one of Lori's, uh, 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 classes mm-hmm. Class, um, yeah. that's the word i was trying to think and <laughs> in, in one of her classes and it plays a big to me it plays a big part because literally the only reason i feel michael even remotely has an interest in Lori or in tommy or even in annie and linda is simply because Lori's dad didn't have the time to drop a key off at the myers house that he is trying to sell so Lori has to be the one to drop it off, making Lori and Tommy the first two people Mike or Michael Myers sees when he's back home. Hell, probably the first person he saw other than Loomis and the nurse who he just got in the car and drove away was old mechanic dude. And we saw how that happened. Mm-hmm. And then Annie and Linda just so happened to be friends with Lori and walking down, um, walking with Lori while Mike is uh, stalking him. Or stalking her. So, literally, all the victims are happenstance from the fact that Lori was, quote-unquote, fated to drop the key off at the Myers house. Does that mean you think that she was fated to have her early demise? Possibly. I mean, she... I don't know. Like, I don't believe in fate, so that's not for me to say. But I think this movie ties heavily in the idea of fate. Mm, so you're the one that likes to play the cards no i i, <laughs> I just i, I you think, like rolling the dice no like... <laughs> no i i I'm, I'm literally the type of person that will look at like let's say like okay you give me a penny to to go play the penny slots at the casino i'm just gonna go to the bar and buy a drink because at least i know i'll get drunk at the bar I don't know what the fuck's going to happen when I put that penny in there and pull that lever. So I'm not taking the chance. Honestly, if you want to be real, if you're going to the casino, nine times out of ten, you're going there for the drinks anyway. But that's just me. Like, nah, I'm not going to the casino. I, I, I went to, when was the last time I went to the casino? Like five or six years ago? It's been a hot minute since the last been to the gym. To the gym. To, yeah, too. To the casino. Last time I went to the casino, I went to the buffet. And I don't know how old I was. I was young. It was one of those like, hey, where do you guys want to go eat? And it was like, yeah, let's go to Horseshoe and, and eat the buffet. And you know, you only really go to the buffets for like holidays and for special occasions. Like the last time I went to a buffet for real, for real was like for my birthday, like two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and like the bat, I always feel bad. I remember being a teenager feeling bad about going to the buffet. I forget whose idea it was to go to the buffet, but I almost blame myself because it may have been my fault. I think it's my fault, but I'm not 100% sure. But still, we went to the buffet. You spend all that money to all you can eat. Nice, beautiful casino buffet. I barely ate shit, and I felt bad. Is it because you get conditioned that you have to eat a certain amount when you pay so much for all you can eat buffet? When it's like literally like the concept is all you can eat. Yeah, but at the same time, it was like three of us, and I think the bill was like seventy bucks. That's a lot of fucking money for me to only eat a little bit. You're not wrong, but at the same time, it's not your money. Plus, you're like young. <laughs> no, no, I felt bad. This type of person I am can't help it. 
Do you think there was any helping Michael at all? Do you think if he would have had access to different doctors, had he, you know, not just settled? Well, if it hadn't not been for Loomis being Loomis, do you think he would have had not killed anybody else and just that would have been an isolated incident? In well, this film, granted no. that he kind of like literally just like escaped from a mental asylum. In in this film, no, I do not. I think in this film, he is something unworldly. I think that he only became more of a human type character in uh, subsequent films, like in the second one where he made where uh, um, Deborah Hill and um, uh, John Carpenter literally ran out of things to write about and out of desperation made Michael and Laurie brother and sister kind of humanized him a little bit. God, that was weird. Yeah, and it it just I don't know. So in this first film, I think with their attention was is like even in the credits, he is credited as the shape. He's not a person. He's not human. As Loomis said, it, it Michael is it. It it is evil. Wait, no, I thought he got credited as Michael. Mm-mm. No, in the end credits, you'll see Nick Castle, the shape. Huh. Yeah. But yeah, so I think in this first film, it's, uh, I mean, it's up for interpretation, obviously, but I believe that there was no saving Michael, that he is the embodiment of evil. Now, with that being said, I feel bad for the parents. Yeah. Um, with that being said, if you like look at Rob Zombie's film, which I don't love, as a matter of fact, I don't really love hardly any of the halloween films i like the i love the first one i love the third one season of the witch and i kind of like the 2018 one i like it enough to own it the other ones are like guilty pleasure i'll watch maybe if someone asks me to watch them or the Buster rhymes kicking michael's ass with kung fu i will watch that all day long oh yeah um just that scene though um (laughs) but in the in the rob zombie remake it delves more not only in Loomis's character like I think Loomis is a much better character in the Rob Zombie film probably gonna get a lot of shit for saying that Loomis is awesome I love Loomis as a character in this first film but Michael McDowell as Loomis has a lot more nuance like he starts out as um you know obviously trying to help Michael then it turns into, well, there is no helping Michael. Then that turns into, I can make money off the story of Michael. Oh. He, he writes a book about him and makes money off that. And then he writes a book about Michael escaping and going into Hattonfield and going in a murder spree and makes money off that. Like, he literally, like, he's a piece of shit person and I love it. Like, he's not this knight in shining armor that he's portrayed in this first film where, like, he comes out of nowhere, shoots Michael, and saves the day, kinda, even though Michael escapes. In the Rob Zombie film, Loomis is a borderline piece of shit, and it's amazing. But, back to Michael. Hmm. The first act of the film is showing Michael's upbringing. He has an abusive, almost like like pedophilic uh, stepfather. Like you could tell that stepfather is like a certain type of way for his sister Ju- uh, 
Judith? Yes. Uh, Judith. His mom is loving, but not there because she has to provide for the money because the stepdad or the father, I think it's stepdad, mm. is uh, uh, disabled. So Michael is there all by himself being bullied by his stepdad. The only one that truly being bullied by Judith, the only person that truly loves him isn't there. He gets bullied at school. So he starts murdering animals. He literally beats the shit out of the bully in the middle of the woods, killing him before he even goes into his murderous rampage on Halloween night, killing his stepdad killing judith and then the the scene in the in this movie where they show michael uh just standing there with the knife and the parents are like michael and just stand there all awkwardly and this (sighs) one michael is sitting there with baby Lori, taking care of Lori. so in my mind he got rid of the bad people he didn't think he did anything wrong there was a chance even though it's it's Rob Zombie has a penchant for writing white, what I call white trash horror. It, it's a bunch of swear words, a bunch of you know mean spirited, spiteful bullshit that it almost borderline makes you sick. That's why I don't really care for the movie mm. as a whole. But dude, there's some ideas in there that really could have worked, in my opinion. The Michael McDowell as Loomis works really good for me, and that first. That, that first act with just Michael. Like, it needed to be toned down a lot. Got rid of some of the Rob Zombie dialogue. But I think in that version, yes, Michael is a normal kid who could have been saved. But this one is like, is it and, doesn't and the, do that at all. No, in this one, in this one, I think the deliberate intention, for me personally at least, is no Michael's evil. He's not a person. He is evil. Yeah, there I feel like there's no there wasn't any humanizing him at all. Like there wasn't anything going on in this film that, you know, you're right. It doesn't humanize him at all. Like he is barely is referred to as a person. And like he's just this imminent figure in this film and basically like from the minute that you revealed that oh it was the freaking kid that killed this uh judith it is like basically everything else from there it feels like it perpetuates urban legend or perpetuates you know the concept of like you know maybe a lot of neurodivergent people a lot of people uh a you know there's a lot of ableism i feel whereas like people who are neurotypical will you know, look at a neurodivergent people and don't even think of them as a, as a person. Yeah. It's like, I feel like it kind of goes into that with Michael, but I feel like that's some kind of something that you can pick up on as maybe like it can come off as that, but that ne- isn't necessarily the case, but it, you know, you can pick tones of like, you know, the ableism equals serial killer shit that I feel like there, it happens a lot in a lot of horror movies that like right. the person who turns out to be mentally ill that is the one that's killing everybody or or their um, mental illness is the reason they're killing mm, people. mental illness is the reason that you know they're killing people or i think in terms of like you know like silence of the lambs with uh, hannibal lecter and and buffalo bill if all that also kind of goes into how they treated queer people as if in the same way as a mentally ill person yeah so I mean, but that's like a whole thing <laughs> yeah because I mean, there's movies that did it a lot worse than... Because I think 
I think because of how good Silence of the Lamb is as a movie that a lot of people point out the Buffalo Bill one. But dude, you got Sleepaway Camp, you Psycho. I mean, literally Hitchcock's mm-hmm. Psycho. The whole ending is a doctor explaining he's a transsexual. Therefore, that's why he was the killer. And I, I know it goes in a little more detail than that. It's not just that the on the gist nose, of it, but the, the gist, gist of, of it, it is like is, it's very like transphobic, and you're just yes. like it's like oh, you're just a man in a dress, and I'm like this isn't this that nope mm mm this this isn't right. <laughs> so no, but it it is definitely a. Tr- I think this one does. I think this one's more subtle with it, if even there at all. But yeah, no. Horror, horror in general has a bad habit of using the mentally ill as a crutch for mm-hmm. being a killer and, or, or having a reason to kill. And like, there are some things that you just don't really like. It, it gets very uncomfortable. Like, I think if I remember correctly, have you seen this movie called M? That is old 1930s German film. No. All right, that is a I think a German expressionist film that. I feel like it's a early horror film when it comes to more realistic horror. This one was about like this dude that basically abducted kids, but like basically I want to say it went towards like oh this dude's a pedophile and therefore like that's the reason why he killed the kids there because he's a pedophile and all of that and it kind of goes into that and that was back in the nineteen thirties where they like any inclination of like any kind of like other can be considered like a mental illness and like it kind of that kind of goes into all of that and i feel like with this film since he's basically mute like michael says literally nothing the whole film all you hear is his breathing yeah he doesn't that, he hasn't talked in 15 years yeah so it's kind of like he probably didn't even talk that much before then so it's like all of that all of the um different kind of things that michael has done and him being mute basically expressing action that can also be like him being mentally ill because you know there's no way to communicate and no one ever really tried to get him to communicate anything since the murder and all of that so i think that's kind of one thing that um it goes into i feel like that doesn't really get brought up it doesn't really get brought up it's just kind of is plop there yeah I think it's mostly just a plot device, but you know, whatever. I think, yeah, I think this one, you can look at it in the gaze of, you know, not that. Like, you can see it in that way, Mm. but also you easily couldn't. Where, like, your point is hugely, hugely, like, on-the-nose valid when it comes to the Rob Zombie one. Because in that one, Loomis literally gives up on Michael. Like, he just, he he quits. He he gives up on him. Um, And then goes and writes a book about this little boy's trauma like seriously so yeah no it's a hundred percent in this in the 1978 one you can interpret it that way but i think this one as far as like old school horror movies that could easily have gone towards the mental illness angle Mm -hmm. i feel like it's more trying for like the the evil you know not really boy possessed, but kind of, sort of, in like the same vein. I mean, shoot, the boy possessed or child possession kind of thing. It honestly feel like it took off right after that, and it took off in I feel like in a major way because I mean now you have you know movies like what was it not the great Amityville horror? You know, uh, did Portrait Guys come out first? 
No, pol- no, Poltergeist was an '80s film. Um, See, like stuff like Poltergeist with had, possession, I mean, all of that. Films, yeah, you had earlier films like uh, The Omen, for example. Um, that's that whole movie. That's why you don't name your child Damien. Uh, mm-hmm. So I mean, you had The Omen, you had The Exorcist, you had Exorcist. Uh, yeah, stuff like that. You had Village of the Damned, where you know Rosemary's creepy, Baby, Rosemary's Baby. So, I mean, you had children being personified as evil for quite a bit before this movie. I don't understand that trope at all. It's because kids are creepy. I mean, kids Kids are are a lot of things. Kids are a lot of things. Creepy and terrifying are indeed one of them gross as another. But, like, I just feel like the whole trope with, you know, horror trope with, like, involving children, it's just... does kind of come off as weird to me but at the same time that's me making horror inherently adult like uh people don't a lot of people don't really treat children as like you know sheltered yeah things anymore like like you're humans they a lot of kids are actually smarter than you know than they look so i think now people see that more therefore they don't like spoon feature yeah. like I feel like that's kind of similar case because Miss Lindsay was sitting there just watching the thing like nothing. Lindsay and like, literally is me as a child. Like, <laughs> like you have Tommy who's like very imaginative, very like like a stereotypical kid, and then you have Lindsay who's like who's like part of the I guess newer generation who just like shut the world off and turn yeah. on the television. <laughs> and then like them two, Tommy and Lindsay, can still like you know be coexist and be like yeah let's do this and do that so it's just like i i feel like maybe my point is moot about like you know kids being dumb or whatever but i don't know i feel like part of me feels like there's a reason why i feel uncomfortable with kids in horror movies but at the same time like i don't want to li- i want don't i don't want to limit or make inherently adult the concept of like horror stuff because of course we got horror stuff for kids all the time like Look at freaking. Also, look at a good chunk of the shows that are uh, airing right now, like, like like you know, Scary Godmothers or Are You Afraid of the Dark or Goosebumps. Goosebumps. I mean, Hell, the Twilight Zone. Yeah, literally, Goosebumps was one of my openers to horror. Yeah, so I was like it's one of the few books I actually read. <laughs> so I was like, I I'm, don't want to make that distinction that horror is inherently adult because there are a lot of horror based things for kids. Just know that's not for everybody. Like, it wasn't for me as a kid because I guess I got nightmares. And on top of that, my family was hella religious. So it didn't really translate well to me. Like, oh, I want to read Goosebumps. And then be like, no, read James 42, 33 or some shit. Like, <laughs> no, I, I don't know. Like, I'm okay with kids being in horror movies. I help most of the horror movies I like have creepy or you know the protagonist is a kid um i just want i don't know i want there to be a standing on if you're going to hire a child in your horror movie let them know exactly what this movie is about and see if they are comfortable with it kind of thing like i don't i don't want the parent being the one going oh yeah they're comfortable with it now see if the child is my that's my only thing I think, like I said before, I think that's more of a thing now than it was back then. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, but I mean, there's still 
babies being used in movies like that that baby doesn't have a say in that. and I, I understand you need babies in movies every now and then but i don't know there there's a weird little line that gets crossed i feel like once you do that and then you know like kids can't really consent like that either yeah so it's like it's just then you're gonna have like yeah. that weird moment with like the nirvana baby uh suing the label company 30 year, almost like 25 30 years after yeah, and like be, you, would, you would think he'd do it a little sooner, but you know maybe I don't know. It's weird because it's like he sued them like thirty years after trying to like you know get clout and fame from being the Nirvana baby, and on top of that, recreating the scenes multiple multiple times. Mm-hmm. But then again, I I'm also kind of like okay, I kind of see it because it's like why did you put that baby penis out there? Yeah, well, yeah. no, like I a hundred percent see his point. But mm-hmm. not his point after trying to be famous with it and waiting this long. Yeah, it's kind of like the timing is off, but it's like ultimately, it's like I get it because, like, even though it wasn't really shown in a way where it was necessarily like, well, I mean, it a- wasn't, it wasn't S-word? done, yeah, it wasn't done sexual, in a sexual way, but, but it's still like the concept, like, hey, you have a like a child's penis on your <laughs> album cover, like just all out, just out in the open, out in the open, and like. I know there's, like, a lot of, like, different album covers that got, like, you know, genitalia and shit on it. But I'm like, hmm, it's a kid's kid's dick. Just even with the, uh, you know, placing that strategic placement of the sticker, you're just like, you know what's up. And (laughs) it's kind of, like, weird. So I get it. But at the same time, it's like, I wish you would have done something, like, right when you turn 18 or something or right when you became a kid because i'm pretty sure he's like our age maybe a little bit older but i'm pretty sure he's our age Mm. so there could have been something done like a while back but that's just me yeah um i don't know even if it wasn't a while back if he never would have tried to be famous as the Nirvana baby mm-hmm. and then waited this long, I still probably would have been like, I mean, you waited really long, but I feel you, buddy. I get where you're coming from. Maybe it took you a while to, you know, gain the courage to do this or think you really had to think hard about the kind of thing. Mm. Maybe I could have your back, but no, you, you try to be famous as the Nirvana baby. And now uh, to me, you're just coming across as butthurt and it's not cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, I, I see it. Though. Yeah, I mean, I get it. Yeah. I get his point, but it's it becomes moot, more moot when yeah. never you take in consideration all of that. But have you noticed we've talked about everything but Halloween? Oh, talking about the actual holiday? No, the movie. <laughs> oh man, we talked a lot about the movie. Like we talked about the kills. We talked about the music. Like hashtag you go john carpenter like with the it's, music it's funny I, I feel like i'm gonna rewatch or re-listen to this during editing and it's gonna be like 30 like 20 minutes of halloween talk tangent <laughs> 20 well, minutes of halloween talk tangent <laughs> i feel like the tangents are like relative to like what you know is talked about all of our like, tangents are relevant <laughs> Because if we're like, you know, we're totally professional film critics, so it's like... And we t- <laughs> we totally know exactly what... We, we totally have a format we follow. Yeah. This isn't just off the cuff or anything. Oh, no, this is totally professional. We have a script and everything. Yeah, and I'm, I'm totally not holding my dog so she doesn't whine. <laughs> but um, I 
don't know if I can say anything else about it. Like, there's I mean, so much we can say, but like, there's a lot. I mean, it's just a good film. I mean, do you just want to? Because we're we're running to our time limit now. Um, do you just want to give the final rating and arbitrary re- or final <laughs> review and arbitrary rating? So you can judge it off stars, numbers, uh, chicken uh, nuggies, chicken nuggies. I for my I guess for my final thoughts, like. It is a classic film and is a very iconic classic series for a reason. And I, part of me kind of wishes that it didn't go the way that it went for a while before 2018 kind of like, you know, brought it back to its core. But I do appreciate the series for what it has done to horror and honestly filmmaking as a whole, because this is like a, almost like a masterclass in how to do decent indie filmmaking and you know still be able to make iconic you know creature features or iconic like you know lines or hell have a a jump off point for certain celebrities aka you know the the daughter of janet lee jamie lee curtis (laughs) and i know i should have brought it up earlier but i know there's like a good bit of like decent references that you know people don't really seem to pick up on the hitchcockian aspect of it a lot of people I feel like don't really pick up on because you know this was also kind of related to like uh, a potential sequel to Psycho so like I'm pretty sure that this movie was probably like a Psycho 2 but like you know there is a Psycho 2 I don't know no there is no there's a Psycho 2 and it's really good Mm, no 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 no. Psycho 2 is really good give it a chance I'll give it a chance Psycho 3 and Psycho 4 follow the story that Psycho 2 developed they're not as good but if you want to finish the story you gotta watch those two I did not know there was that much of an extension of a story yeah but no watch Psycho 2 at least and see if you want to watch 3 and 4 okay yeah Psycho 2 is really good but I still think like despite everything that I talked about earlier I think it's an iconic film and I say watch it. I still feel like you should watch it and, you know, um, study it in a way. Because, like, it's very good when it comes to, you know, building up suspense like the Hitchcockian films. It's very good at setting, like, doing payoffs. It's very good at, like, you know, setting up for decent kills. Like, it's not too much gore. You don't really see much when it comes to, like, you know, gore or blood or guts or anything. You see just enough to be like, I see it. It's like the kills where I think were expertly done, pretty creative and entertaining. The story, as batshit as it is, is still really good. Um, I say if I'm gonna give an arbitrary rating, solid four point five for me. Four point five, nice. Um, I think the story is basic. I mean, it's very bare bones basic story. I mean, this is a horror movie we're talking about. Are you really there for the plot? Yes. Really? Me? Yes. Huh. Got me there. <laughs> but anyway, it, it is a very bare bones, basic story. However, what saves it is the cinematography. I mean, it's literally Deborah Hill and John Carpenter's writing and uh, his uh, Carpenter's directing. The cinematography is beautiful. It's amazingly shot. Shout out to Ray Stella. Yes. 
the music is iconic the lack of sound is unnerving the whole film has this unnerving quality to it that in first viewing i don't think unless you are a filmmaker or really into films you're not going to catch you're not going to understand why you feel the way you feel while watching this movie it's just i love so much about this film and i think that if you are planning on ever becoming a filmmaker and horror filmmaker in general um you should i mean this is a film to study this is a they don't make scares as subtle like this anymore even the 2018 one has jump scare galore where this movie is very very subtle in its execution and i love that Usually you hear show, don't tell, but when it comes to horror, I feel like a lot of what you picture in your head is more fucked up and more gruesome than anything you can put on screen. Less is more. Less is more when it comes to horror, and this movie is textbook that. So I would give it a four and a half, but nostalgia kicks in, so it's going to be a five for me. Also, I just realized there's seven kills. Seven. Two dogs. Oh, the other doggo. Yeah, the one the the one that thought that was a skunk. Yeah, the the skunk probably did that. Is a no man could ever do that. Really, really, my dude. Mm. No man could do that, but a little skunk could. Okay, sheriff. (laughs) But yeah, no, like this is a very iconic film for very obvious reasons. Yeah, I mean, I. I literally like almost get in like a tunnel vision trance while watching this movie, especially the the third act, like the first act and a little bit of the second act because it's so, you know, setting up the plot and everything I get, you know, I can talk or I can go make food or drink or whatever. Literally the moment he starts stalking Annie tunnel vision, I'm, Mm. I'm hooked in this movie and it's, I, I love it. I've watched it on AMC as a kid every Halloween. Every October, they did like a 31 on 31 type Halloween special on AMC. And Halloween nights, they showed every single Halloween movie. And as a kid, I loved them all, especially this one. So that's why it gets five stars for me. Mm, okay. I I can live with that. I can live with that. So that's been our show. Thank you for listening, guys. Yeah, like for real. Uh, <laughs> uh, still don't have a format, so not really sure how to end it other than follow us on YouTube and all the social medias, like all of them. And other podcast players, you know, like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Apple Apple Music, uh, Google Podcasts, and all of those that are, you know, Available for podcasts anywhere that they can be listened to. Yeah, if you can podcast, we'll be podcasting. And we'll be there. And, you know, until next time. What are we, what are we doing next time? That's a very, very good question. I think it's... I think we don't know yet. Yeah, I know we're going to do a Thanksgiving special. We are going to do a Thanksgiving special, but we're going to have a bunch of videos coming out videos uh quick reviews uh maybe even like a specialty show we're kind of testing out the waters and dipping our toes our little our little baby penises (laughs) 
God dang it. God, that was so bad. We're getting... Oh, God, I came in... I don't even know what to say after that. Join us next time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, join us. I don't even know when next time will be. Uh, we plan on dropping an episode at some point, just talking probably random bullshit, more random bullshit than we talked about this time. And tune in for our Thanksgiving special, which will be on close to Thanksgiving, close to Thanksgiving, a date that will be announced probably on the next thing that we do or whatever social media posts we have it on. Yeah, we're getting good at this. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in the meantime, I've been Heath and I've been Jay and you've been listening to Host of Horror. Woo. That went well.